Broadcasting from our secret compound in Silicon Slopes, Utah, overlooking the entire Utah Tech Corridor, this is the Utah CTO Show. Bite-sized interviews with Utah's tech leaders where we dig into the growth of the Utah tech scene, the stories behind some of the greatest local successes, and the secrets to growing tech leadership in Utah. And now, here are your hosts, Chris Jenkins and Brett Flake. Welcome back to the Utah CTO Show. We hope that you're enjoying the holidays just like we are with our families. And what we wanted to do was bring back a few episodes and share those with you, some of our favorites. One of those is Jason Taylor, CTO at Podium. Back in May, we interviewed him and found him to be an amazing person with such a glowing personality. And one of the things that he did in that episode that really stuck out to us was that he got really vulnerable in talking about some of the experiences that he had growing up and what really drove him to continue growing his career within tech and supporting his family. So we really love that message and we hope that you'll be able to glean something similar from this episode. So with that, here's Jason Taylor. Welcome to the Utah CTO Show. My name is Brett Flake. My co-host here is Chris Jenkins. Hey, guys. And here at the Utah CTO Show, we, uh, we're just talking about how to use tech to improve people's lives, and some of those lives can be improved through tech careers. And so we're trying to help people grow into those careers, and we'd love to see that grow here in Utah. So we're talking today to uh, Jason Taylor, who is the CTO of Podium. Welcome, Jason. Thank you. Welcome, everybody. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you, Jason. This is fantastic. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, my pleasure. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Just give us a quick rundown of who you are, what you're about, what you do at Podium, and sure. uh, what you like to do. Sure. So Jason Taylor, I actually originate from Southern California. I moved uh, to Utah to go to school, went to the Y, then went to the U and started at Novell. That's kind of where I began my career, worked through school, and Novell taught me some pretty good fundamental lessons about building enterprise quality software. I think the products there were amazing and just the processes were pretty good about teaching how to build a platform that scales to the enterprise level. From there, I went to Omniture and learned some amazing lessons about SaaS software development, what it means, how to scale a platform as well from a SaaS point of view, which was fantastic. The team at Omniture was absolutely incredible. From there, I had the opportunity to go to Allegiance, take over a CTO role, which was also another very awesome opportunity to be able to lead a smaller company. Eventually, we grew that into something that was pretty substantial, merged that with um, another company called Merits Research that became Merits CX and uh, was a great company from there. Um, then went to Podium and been there for about two years in the CTO role. That's awesome. That's a lot of experience. So, I mean, over the years um, with that experience, uh, what would you say is probably the most interesting thing about your professional story? Well, you know, I never really wanted to be a CTO. I kind of took the approach where, you know, when there was a problem in my company, I wanted to jump in and help whether, you know, Novell, I think I was in seven or eight different positions and I never really aspired per se to be a CTO. I don't know, I'm not even sure I really knew what it was at the time or yeah. cared. <laughs> right. I just felt like there was always an opportunity to jump in and help in different areas. And tech was always something that I was super passionate about and I felt like it could definitely improve the lives of so many people. I think maybe the part that's most interesting probably starts in my childhood. And this is something that fuels me through all of this is a point in my childhood, we were actually homeless, my brother and mom and I. And I think that is probably, it's something that I always look back on. You know, when times are tough, I always think, well, nothing was as hard as that. You know, just that element of survival and trying to take care of your family, your brother. And it's something that has kind of fueled me and pushed me to always work hard to make sure that I'm taking care of the people that I'm fortunate to work with. 
And I'd say probably the thing that I think about the most in my life is just those experiences I had during my childhood years that obviously were not ideal or anything that anybody would like to go through. It's interesting to reflect on them and think, boy, I am who I am today because of those experiences, right? And how do I, even for my children, how do I emulate that? Because I don't want them to go through that, but how do I help them to learn some of the lessons I did? So some things that, you know, a lot of people will describe me as like a a continual teacher because I'm always trying to help people understand perspectives when there's conflict at work, you know, there's better ways to handle them. There's good ways to solve things, treating people like human beings that we care for sincerely. And I have the opportunity to work with a lot of amazing people today. And I think sometimes when I'm in a situation with somebody, I'll think, what would their mom or dad say if they were in my situation? <laughs> Maybe this person wasn't doing so well, right? Yeah. You'd kind of give them the benefit of the doubt and try and coach them, right? It's sometimes not all about business, I guess, is the point that I'm trying to make because of that perspective I have that I gained early in life. Yeah, I'd imagine like those feelings of just like helplessness. You don't want to have to feel it. And when you're going through it, it's probably crazy. But you also don't want other people to feel it. And you, obviously, you don't want your kids to have to go through that. But you still want them to know the lesson from that. And so that's, that's kind of an interesting, it's a very interesting story. Yeah. And, and the cool thing is everybody has a story, right? I've also learned that once you get to know people, everybody has things in their life that made them who they are. And I think regardless of what position or title you have, it's compelling to me to think that we all take this journey in life and every day we're at work, whether a CTO or a software engineer or whatever it is, the goal of just making a difference in people's lives and whether it's through tech or through individual relationships would be something we all strive for. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've talked a few times about this and I similarly never envisioned myself being in tech. My family, nobody had gone to college ever or even aspired to do anything outside of really manual labor, right? When I got married was kind of a lot of those experiences where I started to learn that I just got that drive behind me to want to accomplish something more, right? And that was, and even today, like I still think back and my wife and I have these conversations about should our kids pay for their own school or should we contribute to that, right? That's a good and question. so <laughs> and so as we debate this, there's good and bad options for both, but we both paid for our schooling ourselves. And the value that we gained out of that is significant. Like today, I look back on that time and I think so many times that that is definitely the best thing that had happened to me was having to pay for school for a lot of various reasons. And, and it's not the same for everybody, but I absolutely see that. And one other thing you mentioned that I had never thought of is in conversations with your team where you're mentoring and teaching, I've never thought, what would their parents say in this situation or how would they respond? And I think that's super insightful. I appreciate you saying that because I think that's unique. I think maybe there's something there with, uh, you know, um, coworkers that sometimes you have our time getting along with, but sometimes you see people on one of their worst days and you don't stop and really think, oh, you know, like what's going on in the background? Not that you want to get too personal at work, a lot of the time, but just kind of reflecting on maybe what that person's going through and just uh, giving them the benefit of the doubt when you can. Yeah. I always thought that my goal is to bring as much diversity to the workforce so that we have a wide varying range of perspectives and thoughts about how to approach the problems that we're facing. And given that is the goal, you'll see some people that kind of go through these cycles of highs and lows And it's just temporary. It's just like a short-term phase that we all go through. And so as long as you continue to seek out that diversity of thought, I think the way you approach people and the way you approach their contributions, you're a little bit more tolerant because you know that maybe 
Sometimes they're going to contribute more and maybe sometimes less. And when they're contributing less, it's, hey, let's talk because I want to get you through this low cycle as quickly as possible. But at the end of the day, I, I think that, and maybe this is a good transition to the next question, but this idea of we're trying to compete, right, with these businesses. Mm-hmm. And, and tech is one of those ones where it's super hyper competitive. And I've always thought in Utah, we have an amazing number of companies here that are building tech and Silicon Slopes. It's this vibrant, thriving community. And sometimes we make the mistake that we're competing against one another, whereas I'd love for us to get to a point where we think of ourselves as competing against other investment areas like a Silicon Valley or East Coast, where that's where the venture funds are going, right? So somebody has to choose, if you're a VC, do I invest in some of the businesses in Silicon Valley and Silicon Slopes on the East Coast? And if we can bond together and kind of share one another's failures and successes, Ideally, in Silicon Slopes, imagine if no two companies had to make the same mistake yeah. because we learned from each other. Yeah, Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, you, you know, we talk Silicon Slopes, but there's a lot of investment going to Denver, right? Just on the other side right. of the mountain. Yeah, it's a new place. It is. And I think there's a lot of things we could do to learn those things. So, yeah. so you didn't think you would be CTO, didn't really know what CTO was, and didn't necessarily pursue that right off. Now that you're there and you've been doing this for a little while, yeah. what are the things that you like about it? Oh, man. I think just it, I have to start with just affecting people's lives. When you see a team, and this is when I realized that maybe my hands on the keyboard building code and products wasn't right for me. The first time I saw a group of people work together to build a project and do it in a timeline they never thought possible and to achieve more of the requirements than they ever expected and just the satisfaction they got from that and from each other, it was infectious for me. And so I'd I'd say if you're out there and you feel that when you're working with a team, you might want to consider your skills being better suited in management or leadership opportunities where you can help those types of initiatives because technical leadership is few and far between. And I think the more that we can find that type of guidance that exists out there for helping individuals, when you see that, it's what drives you, I think, as a leader. And the first time, even to just last week, the results of a team being able to achieve something monumental. And it's weird. If you've been in software for a while and you work on a long-term project, let's say a few months or maybe even a year and you get done with it, you go through this postpartum depression that exists after it. And we laugh, but we know it, but oh, yeah. it's hard to even explain. So we go home after these projects and our, our families are like, what are yeah. you doing here? Why? Yeah. And you're like depressed to be home and <laughs> it becomes like a part of you, a part of your identity. And so I think for me, one of the most rewarding parts of this job is just to see people achieve more than they thought possible and how it opens up their perspective to what they are capable of individually and as a team is, is just amazing. Yeah, it's like that euphoria or the or the fulfillment of when you've like really started to accomplish something great and then and then you're kind of in the lull in between your next project yes. or, <laughs> or yes. your next fulfilling uh, you know, accomplishment. <laughs> yes. And you hit the nail on the head with what we're trying to accomplish or or at least help influence here on this podcast is these developer leaders, engineering leaders, they are they are few and far between. So what can we do to help influence people that are good with with people and good with management move from just sitting behind the keyboard to actually in, you know, affecting others' lives. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. There was, there was a point in my career where I had to decide, do I do a master's of CS or an, um, a master of business? And 
it, you know, I, I kind of counseled with my wife and eventually she convinced me if you really are passionate about people, then it, I think it's not a, it's a it's no a brainer. brainer. Yeah. yeah. So that's the route I went. It was, you know, I would also say I've had a lot of people ask me, is an MBA worth it? It took a lot of concepts that are in my head, especially if you're an engineer, you think very deductively and logical about things. Mm-hmm. And I think an MBA gives you like an academic framework to think about all of the different situations you get into that helps you to be a little bit more consistent, I think, in your style of leadership and management where you take these frameworks that you're taught and be able to apply them to business, even in technical leadership where, um, like I said, I, I feel like we probably are short on the market of good technical leaders that have both the personal and the technical side of leadership that um, I think we need so badly. Yeah, no, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. So along those lines, is there some um, you know system or maybe a book or something that you recommend that maybe helps build that leadership? Yeah, there are so many good books out there. I'll go through, I get asked this question quite a bit. Um, I'm kind of a process freak. I think process is one of those things that's really cool. So we talk at Podium about just enough process, which is enough to give guidance, but it's not too much where it's stifling. And the book I really think that translates, I think, physical process into virtual is a book called The Goal. It's one that's really good about explaining work and process, excess inventory, all of that stuff that actually translates into the way we build products. So I'll take a step back sometimes at Podium and just look and see how we're doing what we're doing. And if I see any waste in the system, and it may sound funny, but virtually it's definitely there. From a people point of view, there's two books that I talk about a lot. One is Influencer. And it helps, I think, frame the way that our leaders at Podium, we often talk about everybody as a leader. So when we go through the interview process, one of the criteria we actually look at is, can this person lead? Because we believe that at some point in time, everyone is going to have a project that we, we give to them. And Influencer really helps people understand the best way to work with people without, I would say, without having the style of leadership or management that maybe the president of our country has right now that we're trying to kind of get away from. I think that there's a more tactful way to approach managing and leading people in that uh, book. Influencer really describes that. The other one around people is leadership and self-deception. I always tell people leadership and self-deception is kind of a 400 level class (laughs) that you need to be probably read after you read quite a few other books because it's kind of that existential point of view of mind control, thought management that I think is so critical for most seasoned leaders, but it does take a little while to kind of get to that point where you can fully understand that. Multipliers is is a really good one as well. The one that I've actually read most recently that I'm pretty passionate about is by Sheryl Sandberg, Lean In. It's really struck a chord with me about how we have so many unconscious biases in our society, especially in tech, where we don't have a good diversity of um, employees. I think it's definitely a male-dominated culture, and it's helped me to think through maybe some of the assumptions we make in the tech industry. I've asked uh, our managers to read Lean In as well, and I think it's really changed the way that we interview. It's changed the way we ask questions of people. It's changed my language that I use with my team. Maybe what's fueling a lot of this passion for, again, the diversity of thought that we need is I have a 15-year-old daughter who is, I'm trying to get her into tech, (laughs) but... You know, and high school teachers, they're amazing at what they do, but they don't make a ton of money. And in tech, you can make a lot of money just going into the industry. So she maybe hasn't had the best time with some of her teachers to give her like a good impression of, but now she's starting to catch wind. But 
She also sees that some of these biases that we read about and we understand are in the professional workplace also exist in schools. And so I think some of the STEM initiatives that we have are absolutely spot on and couldn't come at a sooner time. I think it's an opportunity for us to really change the way that we compete in the world as a country. I think we're probably selling ourselves a little bit short of what we could be achieving because we don't have good programs that bring young women into the industry in, in a very thoughtful, equitable way. And yeah, I could probably go on that topic <laughs> for a little bit, as you can tell. Does she participate in like SheTech that are happening here in the state? She is. She's actually trying to start her own nonprofit education academy for wow. girls in the junior high level that she feels are underserved right now. So she's all into Scratch and building her own programs and stuff like that. But I find myself struggling at this at times as a CTO and a father is trying to prepare the workplace, the professional environment for us to compete properly. And one of the quotes in Sheryl Sandberg's book is that, I can't remember who said this, but basically a very popular businessman essentially said he only feels like he's competing with half the population because oh, yeah. women are not there, right? He doesn't, yeah. he's only competing against men. And I think the creative side that so many women have in the untapped intelligence that exists there because we're not hiring enough women in the tech space is something where we're we're not capitalizing on what we could effectively achieve as a technology society or a community in this nation. Yeah, absolutely. I think recently I, I had saw, and I'm probably going to quote it, it's not 100% um, accurate, but I, I think that um, it was something like the female graduates of BYU, their median annual income is something like $800 annual income. Maybe I'm quoting that wrong. I hope I'm not. But anyway, it's just staggering to think about there's this whole other untapped market that could really positively affect, you know, Utah yep. economy and affect those people's lives. It's not that they're probably not doing jobs, just that they're largely volunteer. You know, you think about room parents or mm -hmm. something along those lines where there's a lot of volunteers in Utah and maybe they're just not getting compensated for jobs that maybe people would get compensated in, in other states even. So if you're out there... But, and, but maybe I'm getting off topic yeah, here. I would <laughs> just say, you know, I don't know if it, you guys... podium. Kyle Corver also wrote an amazing article yeah. lately called, um, I think it was entitled, Privileged. 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 Yeah, that's right. So he said something in there that I think resonates with me quite a bit, and this idea that I think if you feel like you're part of that privileged society, it's not this need to feel guilty but the need to feel responsible. Yeah. So if you're listening, I would encourage you get involved, do something, help us solve this problem. It is definitely there. And at Podium, we have a number of initiatives underway right now to try and level the playing field to make it easier for women to get involved, sponsoring individuals who can go back and get uh, an education or further their education on behalf of Podium. So we're taking this very seriously. You'll actually hear some announcements here in the future about what Podium is doing from an investment point of view to make the workplace a little bit easier for individuals who have children who want to continue a professional career, but also find themselves torn between caring for a child or working in the professional environment. So tell us a little bit more about tech here in Utah. What are your thoughts? What are your feelings? Like, what do you like about Utah or what do you don't like about Utah? I love Utah. Coming from California, the reason I haven't gone, there's many reasons I haven't gone back, but I think this is the place where people are very loyal to the companies. I think we have good schools, good education. We obviously need more. Definitely now being a CTO, it's, I see the lack of engineers we can hire from just from Utah. So we're actively, as are many other companies, pulling from out of state, which is good. 
The tech in Utah is fabulous. Silicon Slopes like this is great. You got UTech, Utah Technology Council. You have the AIM group as well. So there's a number of ways that people can get involved for sure. I think one thing I would love to see us do a little bit more is just sharing those successes and failures as a group. I think we have an opportunity there to definitely step up and demonstrate what we could do when we work together that I think probably happens a lot more, not probably, but does happen a lot more in Silicon Valley where they have a lot more meetups, they have a lot more tech talks, a lot more times where you can go and learn about a new technology, but not just learn about it principally, but you can learn actually how it's being implemented at different companies, which is really cool. So that would be my only call out there, I would say. (laughs) Yeah, still a lot to do, but a lot of good things happening for sure. Yes. Awesome. Well, I think we've probably... The, yeah, the I think we're on time course. already. But. So is there anything in particular that you would want to plug or let the audience know to look for? Yeah, I'd encourage everybody, some of the initiatives we talked about, take them seriously, see how you can help and get involved. If you're interested to know a little bit more, jason.taylor at podium.com. I'm happy to have a conversation with anybody who's interested, who has ideas on how to further our community forward, how to make this world a better place through tech and some of the companies that we're building here. It's a lot more than just building a company. It's also building people. And if you're listening, it means you care. It means you're involved. And I give you kudos for that. Please keep listening. Please keep trying to do your part. Learn more. Some of the books I mentioned, if you have ideas or thoughts or things that strike a chord with you, I'd love to chat about those as well. Those are books I typically listen to or read about every three years to make sure I remember some of the principles in them. So. And you guys, thank you for your time. This has been great. Yeah. Get Any yours. specific meetups or, or groups you would suggest anybody get a hold of or, or join or be a part of? Uh, Silicon Slopes is really good. And then, as I said, the Utah Technology Council and AIM, yeah. those are two that I would recommend people get involved with. That's awesome. There's plug slug events all over the place. There's lots of local yeah. user groups that I would recommend people be involved with. If you have questions to reach out to me, I can help point you in the right direction for one that you may be looking for. Yeah. Well, Jason, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been a great conversation. We've really loved having you. Cool. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. If your computing infrastructure is running in a cloud service like AWS or Azure, you've likely sunk time into manually configuring and maintaining a monitoring tool. Tasks like understanding baselines, fine-tuning thresholds, and examining visualizations for defects require significant time and effort, taking time away from your most important priorities. Wouldn't it be nice if you could automate this monitoring and alerting process? That's where Blue Matador comes in. Unlike all other monitoring tools on the market, Blue Matador eliminates the need to manually configure alerts. After a quick onboarding, Blue Matador instantly discovers all of your resources, automatically creates hundreds of alerts out of the box, and proactively notifies you of critical production issues. This saves you massive amounts of time and ensures that you'll always know the health of your cloud services. And right now, they are providing a special offer to our listeners here on the Utah CTO Show. Just head to bluematador.com slash show. Sign up for a free trial and integrate your AWS account or Kubernetes account for 14 days, and they will send you $100. They are so confident that you'll love their product that they are offering our listeners 100 bucks just to try it. So go to bluematador.com slash show to start your free trial today. Terms and conditions apply.